0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the VeloNews News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, joined today by Saive O'Shea, fresh back from opening weekend in Belgium, uh, staying in Ghent. How are you, Sive? Good to see you.
1: I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm recovering. It was a, a busy, hectic, but very fun weekend.
0: I can only imagine because it was busy just as a fan at home trying to keep up with four races in two days. So I can only imagine you, know, you being there on the ground running around trying to trying to catch up and I'm hoping that's what you can do for us today is catch us up on on what happened uh, what what the good stuff was the excitement and uh, what it means going forward
1: I will do my best
0: Well let's let's start top level you know we've got we had the four races we had men's and women's uh on newsblad some guy named Wout van Aert. Have you heard of this guy?
1: Yeah, he's he's kind of a rising star. I think maybe we'll hear some more about him like later on in the spring. Yeah,
0: just keep up the hard work, kid. You're doing fine. Uh, he won yeah. the men's race. Annamiek van Vluten, uh, another rider of similar caliber, won the women's. Uh, and then we had uh, Kern and Brussel Kern taken by Fabio Jakobsen. And the second women's race of the opening weekend uh Omloop Van Het Hageland taken by Marta Bastianelli. So that's yeah, top top line as so as to what happened. And we'll get into the the bits and bobs as of to what what specifically went down and what it means going forward. But you know, of course we've got to start with the state of the world here. Uh the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine overshadowing everything over the weekend. And uh, you know, writers you know, what, what, what were writers saying there on the ground, Saif?
1: Yeah, I mean, sport is normally kind of this escape from everything that goes on in the world. We like to sometimes bury our heads in the sand a little bit and forget the terrible things are going on. Um, but the what's going on in Ukraine with the, the Russian invasion um, has really permeated that kind of bubble that we almost create for ourselves sometimes. It started, obviously, just before... Um, opening weekend um, and it, I mean it was a, certainly in the press room it was a, a topic of conversation you know we, it was between watching the bike racing we were checking out the the news and trying to kind of keep up with what was going on but also in the peloton you know the riders were were talking about it and um, in um, two post-race press conferences um some two very kind of strong uh, statements from Wael Van Aert and Fabio Jakobsen after Omloop and Kerner respectively. Um, you know, they they spoke out against it, obviously criticised it, but also spoke about how the events of, the you know, the last week have really kind of put things into perspective. You know, it makes it especially clear that cycling, you know, is not important as, you know, world issues go. It's a job. They're having fun. We're having fun watching it, but it's it's a very small part of everything that's going on at the moment.
0: Context for sure. And cycling, like so many sports, we uh, journalists and writers often, you know, the athletes often use, you know, hyperbolic terms and, you know, frankly, war-like analogies. Like the writers were battling each other. They were attacking, they were fighting. Fabio, after winning said, you know, here we were fighting, there's 25 year olds fighting for a sprint win, uh, not too far away. There are 25 year olds fighting for their life and fighting for freedom. So that's, yeah, certainly context to, to the sport of, of bicycle racing. And then we saw uh, the one Ukrainian rider not, not, not at opening weekend, but uh, you know, just in the past few days, Mark Padun at uh, Grand Camino uh, took a time trial win, uh, dedicated that to, to his country. So that's, again, context to all this uh, fun and games, which is, as you say, normally a nice distraction from the real world. One positive real world thing this weekend, though, was uh, fans were back after last year being, you know, quote unquote, behind closed doors. Uh, strange to have events out in the countryside behind doors, but that was the, the terminology for, you know, fans were banned. So what was that like there on the ground?
1: it was it it was strange but it was it was so nice to just be back at an opening weekend that you know had fans um it was big um 2020 february opening weekend 2020 was the last time that we had you know big roadside fans we had proper presentations you know it was right before you know the world basically shut down um yeah, so it was just it was nice to kind of have that back again and have this sort of slight sense of normality. I mean, there was obviously lots of reminders that, you know, things still aren't normal outside of obviously what's going on in Ukraine. They've still got the the pandemic still kind of trudging along and kind of affecting our daily lives. And you know, we had to have our COVID COVID vaccine passes to to get into the press room at Kerner. Um, the same for fans going to the Kupka Velodrome in Ghent to watch the, the presentation. You know, people were wearing masks. There were fewer masks than there. There were at you know the Worlds, even just like a few months ago. Um, but yeah, there's you know it's cycling is sort of beginning to head back to some semblance of normality, whether or not we'll ever get that kind of full normality back again. In the near future, that that remains to be seen. But yeah, it was fantastic to see fans on the side of the road again. Um, at the beginning of Kerna, you know, the the race started at 5 past 12 local time. The locals were cracking into the beers long before that started. <laughs> I don't know how many of them actually remember the result, saw what happened, and will actually have, any, probably, like me, will have to go and watch it back because... When we're at bike races we actually don't get to watch very much of it i imagine a few of the cycling fans may feel exactly the same um because they were d- deep into the beers at lunchtime <laughs> but that's kind of what Belgian like the classics and belgian racing is about like it's such a festival yes you know we saw that at the world championships um and belgian racing without the fans just isn't the same
0: it, it is bizarre and even we were doing preview stories ahead of, of these races and, you know, pulling photos from last year. And you're seeing, you know, the, you know, the iconic climbs like uh Capemure, which, you know, has the little church at the top and that's for years and years, you know, that has been one of the quint- quintessential shots because one is beautiful. And two, it, it's often a pivotal moment in the race uh, where, you know, attacks can go, or at least there's, you know, you, you see who's serious, who the serious contenders are at that point. And it is absolutely, that spot is absolutely jam packed with fans crammed in there on top of each other standing on the short little wall on the on the cobble climb and to see that you know the same race intensity the same riders but without the fans it it's it's
1: it's weird it's bizarre yeah.
0: it's like yeah you know the intensity is still just as much but it seems like it was it's just like a dress rehearsal so yeah nice to see all that back and for for those of you who aren't as familiar with the opening weekend races as say the tour of flanders uh, there are lots of similarities uh, in riders and in parts of the courses. You know, a lot of if you look at the course maps for these races, they look like a you know a pile of spaghetti, just things bouncing all over the place. Kerna Brussels Kern, as the name implies, is I don't want to say straightforward, but like you at least get an indication from the names <laughs> of the towns. It goes from Kerna to, to Brussels area, not into downtown Brussels. That would be a nightmare. Yeah. And then back to Kerna. <laughs> um tell tell us a bit about the the Oumlook course for for men and women and like what what the the key parts are in that race and and you know, what that means looking ahead to the belgian world championships that is the tour of flanders
1: yeah so Omloop he, newsblad is more of a, a climbers course um in the grand scheme of things compared to colonel um Omloop van hageland which are both kind of considered to be more sprinter yeah, type race, yeah. classics um they feature a lot of the same climbs, although this year Omloop didn't have the Molenberg because they have um, some roadworks going on. If you've ever been to Belgium, they've always got roadworks. So, um, That's
0: true throughout the world. That's just yeah. international <laughs> but, truth.
1: Yeah, so the, every so often roadworks will force changes in the course. And this year, the Molenberg was taken out and they added a couple more new climbs, which is sort of slightly unknown. Um, and um, yeah, they, so they decided just to kind of change change things up a little bit. They added a different um, cobble sector as well. But really, the kind of the crux of the race was very much the same. Um, the Moor obviously proved to be a very crucial part of the race. Kind of broke things up a lot. We saw really the kind of first huge selection on the Moor, and then we had the Bosberg, which is the final climb, and that was where. Both Annemiek van Vleuten and Wout van Aert attacked. Um, Wout van Aert managed to get away alone. Well, van Aert attacked slightly before the Bosberg, but it was sort of in that area. And um, yeah, he managed to get away alone. Van Bluten took Demi Vollering with her, but managed to, yeah, outsmart her because Vollering was a, is a faster sprinter. So the anticipation was that Vollering was going to take her there, but she managed to... um. Yeah, do the job on following, which was impressive.
0: Absolutely. So again, the, the mirror being a a critical part of the race, not just visually, but it's, uh, tactically in the event. So, so you've got you've got five five key takeaways from opening weekend. What the, what the important parts were and what it means going forward, and, and just uh, starting to touch on that one with Anna there. So yeah, Saive O'Shea's one of five. Hot takes from the opening weekend, <laughs> Annemiek is still the rider to beat. Yes.
1: I don't know how, how hot that take is because <laughs> I think when you watch Annemiek van and it's clear to see, um, she's on incredible form at the moment. Um, and it's really easy to forget that in October last year, she crashed in the first ever Paris-Roubaix fan, broke her pelvis in two places. I think she broke a collarbone or a shoulder somewhere in that something in that region she was still like she was able to get on her bike pretty quickly but she was still using crutches off the bike up until mid-December
0: yeah that's bananas. that's like
1: yeah you know that's only two months ago just over two months ago she was still you know using crutches to get around and here she is like smashing races so she made her season debut at Valenciana um the week before last. She she won a stage there and took the overall classification in quite dominant fashion, and usual Annemiek van Vleuten fashion, just going out there and destroying the rest. Um, and then she came into opening weekend. She was talking about probably working for her teammate Emma guard if things kind of came together. But ultimately the race was just too aggressive to try and bring it back to a, a proper sprint. So Emma guard was sort of eliminated from the kind of the possibility of winning out reasonably early on in that final selection it ended up as I said before between a fight between Demi Vollering and and Annemiek Van Fluten. in theory Demi Vollering should have kind of had the upper hand she is a faster sprinter but Van Fluten put her under so much pressure you could see in the final kind of 10 kilometers or so she was pretty cooked she um kind of blowing out her cheeks sticking out her tongue like you could see that she was tired and she spoke afterwards about how um because it was a cross headwind she she was really struggling to kind of get any shelter in Van Gluten's wheel so it didn't matter where she was she wasn't really getting any respite Um, which meant that yeah she wasn't you know recharging her batteries as it were and she was by the time they got to that final sprint she was cooked enough that Annemiek van Pluten could um, take a long sprint and hold her off. I mean, it was, it was close. Those of you who saw it, it did look like Vollering might kind of peg her back, but she just ran out of steam before the line.
0: Yeah. That'll, that'll be a great battle to watch going forwards.
1: Yeah. I think they will be one of the, um, the rivalries in women's racing this season. You know, Vollering mm. really is, um, and we'll touch on it a bit later, but she is the, um, you know the, the heir to the throne at SD works for um Anna van der Breggen. You know, she was sort of her protege almost last year. She was kind of guided by her um and I think yeah she's she's still got lots to improve on, lots to work on. Um but yeah I think that rivalry is going to be one of the the things that drives the the kind of the season along and it'll be interesting to watch particularly heading towards um the Tour de France later on this year.
0: Sure. Or, you know, Liège-Bastogne-Liège will be another interesting yep. spot to watch. Last year, Bollering got the better of Van Vluten, and then there'll be uh, Flanders as well, where those two will very likely be going head-to-head in the finish.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll see them a lot together this year, I think. Yeah.
0: Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, as you say, let's jump into the, what number two. SD Works, still a force to be reckoned with, without Anna van der Breggen, who retired last year.
1: Yeah, they're um, obviously they didn't come away from opening weekend with a win, but we could see them really animating the races over the weekend. Um, they were still making selections, getting into lots of the moves. They've always been a team that has had many leaders and many people who can win. But,
0: and and sorry, just interrupting. Yeah. You know, for for many years it was bowles Dolman's team. So the you know yeah. SD Works may may still be new to some folks, but uh, the yeah the team is certainly not. They've been the Dutch powerhouse for years.
1: Yeah, they've been around for around a decade, I think at least. Now the run by Danny Stam, um, a Dutch sports director, he's kind of orchestrated that team and um, is sort of the the puppet master behind it all. Um, but in terms of on the road, like they've always had these super strong riders, multiple riders that can win races. They're not a team that's focused on a single rider. However, Anna van der Breggen sort of has been the shining light for that team for such a long period of time. And when she's in a race, you know, she's generally the one that's going to like, things are going to sort of gravitate towards just because of the strengths of her um, abilities. You know, we, we all know how, how good she is. And so, her retirement last year was always going to have an impact on the team like no matter who they brought in it was just always going to have this impact on the team but they have made some key kind of signings over the last year and over the winter they brought in belgian champion lotta capecki from the live racing team they brought in marlon russo who's been kind of one of the um revelations of the last couple of years really strong swiss time trialist Um, they still had some you know, very strong riders that they've kind of had for years, like Elena Cicchini, the Italian sprinter. She's been a, a very kind of key part of that team. Um and yeah, they they were getting into pretty much every move. You know, they were driving things and in theory they they actually had that tactical advantage towards the end of um Omloop Newsblad in that they had following in the front group, but then behind they had Russo and Capecchi Chasing so they were really piling on the pressure to try and break Van Vluten. Unfortunately, they just came across a Van Vluten that was exceptionally strong,
0: hard to break. Yeah, yeah.
1: and the same in um, Omloop van Hageland, They were really pushing things, trying to break the sprinters. Um, they they almost did it. They you know they came very close, but it just didn't quite work out. And I think that we'll see their tactics really shining as the spring classics kind of progress and we'll see some, a lot, we'll still see a lot of wins from them. I don't think that they're going to be um, sliding away into obscurity now that Van is <laughs> sitting in the car instead of on the bike.
0: Sure. Sure. On the men's side, another team, Yumbo uh, Visma, you know, your, your take there. Number three, size third take from opening weekend is that yes, Wout is fantastic, but, Jumbo-Visma is much more than that. Uh so so we, a lot of you know headlines and f- photos around Wout winning. Uh, no big surprises there, still super fun to watch. But uh you know what was the what were the stories you saw behind that uh saying that you know Jumbo-Visma is not just giving Quickstep a run for the it's money, you know Quickstep the Belgian team long the dominant force for all the the early classics through uh, through Roubaix.
1: Yeah, I mean, they I mean
0: what's going on behind the scenes there?
1: They again a bit like SD works, they've made some kind of key signings over the over the winter to kind of bolster that classic squad. So they brought in Tiche the um Belgian rider who won Stride Bianchi a few years ago, he used to ride for Soudal, spent two years at DSM or Sunweb, um however you remember them. Um didn't really kind of get on there he was kind of a bit unhappy he actually said to me at the weekend he's feeling a lot happier where he is now that like and he's he, he just seemed to have just come alive you know this was his like first opening weekend or his first two races for the team and even just in these two races we've seen him like just really being aggressive forcing things going on kind of moves on the some of the tougher bigger climbs and really helping to kind of put teams like Quickstep sort of on the back foot. I think his, his rider on loop was sort of instrumental in really eliminating Quickstep from the kind of the finale and giving Wout van Aert the opportunity to just stream off up the road on his own. Um, and then again on Sunday we had Tish Benoit really being aggressive and another the other new signing, Christophe Laporte, um, I actually forgot that he'd signed for Jumbo Visma until I saw him on the television. I was like, Oh oh yeah, that (laughs) happened. (laughs) Um, There's always two or three signings every year that you just forget that have happened until you actually see them in the new kit. And you're like, Oh yeah, that (laughs) happened. I was like, who is this guy in the yellow? Oh, it's Christophe Laporte. But yeah, he was, again, he seems to have been freed by moving to this team. Um, You know, Back at Kofidis, he was sort of more restricted into just being in a sprinter role, whereas here he's been allowed to just get out there and put these attacks up the road. And um, in Kerna, even more so compared to Omloop, Jumbo-Visma were just in so many different moves. They were forcing attacks. They were breaking things up. And then obviously Laporte got into that final three-man breakaway with Taco van der Horn and Jonathan Narvaez. Um, that got so close, so close to um, taking that win. I mean, if if that, if that breakaway had got to the line, um, I'd say nine times out of 10, Laporte would have won that because mm-hmm. he's by far the fastest man in that three-man group. But I think that's possibly what killed the break in the end was that the other two riders were slightly worried about Laporte and everybody started looking at each other. And obviously, Laporte didn't want to hand it to one of the other guys, knowing that he's the strongest. Um, um, They just slowed down enough that they were caught in like the last 50 metres. I mean, like it says a lot that Laporte finished um, 8th and Taco van der Horn finished 10th. Novice, when they started sprinting, was just blown out the back door. But Mm. yeah, so the fact that they both finished in the top 10 just shows how close that got. But yeah, Jumbo Visma were the architects, I think, of that. They kind of really defined that race and they defined some uh, Saturday's race as well at Omloop. Um, and they're really showing that, you know, while Wout van Aert is obviously still an all-star racer and he's very much still the team leader, he's not the only guy in that that has the potential to push for wins at the Classics and that really brings jumbo Visma kind of really further up the kind of Classics team's rankings. Um and they're really they will I think have Quick Step a little bit worried over the next few months. Absolutely they they really did a number on Quick Step at the weekend.
0: Yeah. Have- Having the so, so many riders to watch makes it that much more entertaining for fans. Yeah. But that much more stressful for the competitors. When I mean, if you're not just having to watch Wout and let whoever else go up the road, if you're having to watch multiple riders, then yeah, adds to the pressure for sure. Sives take number four, KBK is going to be a heck of a tough act to beat. Our, our colleague Jim Cotton was talking about how opening weekend, yeah, it's all fine and good, but these races don't really matter. I think we'd like to contest that take. These these are are maybe not the biggest classics of the year, but classics nonetheless, and uh, super exciting to watch. And and you were already given some of your argument as to why Kerne and Brussels Kern is is a excellent classic on your own.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Kerner is sort of seen as the the lesser sibling in the opening weekend. You know, there's Omloop, that's a world tour race. Kern isn't you know it's smaller it's not run by Flanders classics it's a it's own organization although it does get support from Flanders classics so if you do particularly um in the media side if you do go around you'll see some of the same people helping to to organize things but it's it's a much smaller event um and therefore it is sort of seen as this kind of lesser cousin but or sibling even um but yeah it was I think because we ended up with, you know, three really strong sprinters in Fabio Jakobsen, Caleb Ewan, and, and Tim uh, Merlier. I got told off at the weekend for calling him Merlier. Merlier <laughs> is, was probably still wrong. I'm sorry for Belgian people, but um, yeah. The, so they had these three strong sprinters, and really, ultimately, if it came to a bunch sprint, it was going to be between these three guys. Caleb Ewan said it at the start on Sunday, um, and so we had this interesting dynamic in that we had quite a lot of teams that were really keen not to make it end in a bunch sprint. They wanted to try and drop these sprinters. And so that served to kind of create this really aggressive attacking race. Um, You know, like I mentioned before, we saw Jumbo Visma going out on these big attacks. Ineos were the same. They were really pushing things, driving things. Um, And then, yeah, the race sort of, split up with about 55 50 kilometers to go we saw kind of a big group of around i think it was like 15 riders went clear and that then that little satellite three-man group went up the road from that smaller or bigger um attack group um but we still had you know the three big sprinters kind of sitting in the back there and they were their teams were quite keen to try and tow it back. And yeah, there was just this battle between the kind of the non sprinters teams and the sprinters teams trying to get one up on each other. We didn't really see it on the TV um, because we were focused on this um, three rider group going away, but like Jumbo Visma trying to really uh, frustrate the chase as well and slow it down. And um, yeah, it just, the tension in that final 10 kilometers, you know, that gap was only 10, it was 10 seconds for such a long period of time. Like it was one of those things that it just seems like the peloton could like reach out and touch the breakaway group, but they just weren't pulling them back. Um, I think it's like um, Fabio Aru at the Dauphiné a few years ago when he attacked and he had this like tiny, tiny gap, but it was just enough to kind of take the win, and we were all hoping really that maybe they would take that win, and we'd see this kind of um, you know upset of the the form book, especially with Taco Van der Horn in that group after what he did at the Giro last year. Um, but yeah, it was they just lost momentum towards the end, and the the sprinters got there, and Fabio Jakobsen, Caleb Ewan just blasted past them. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was, it was one of the best finishes I've seen in a while. And I, as I said in, in my, uh, piece on the, on the Vela news website yesterday, it's going to be a tough act to follow over the rest of the classics. I'm sure we'll see some fantastic racing and really, actually, I hope it will be beaten because that means we've had an incredible classics campaign <laughs> if it does get beaten, but yeah, it's going to be hard to beat.
0: Mini- people were hoping that the brake would stick, hoping against hope the break would stick. Quick step was not among them. The- no. Jakobsen's win there was, was a face saver of sorts, having yeah, yeah missed out on the, the so-called bigger race, certainly the World Tour Race of the Weekend, the day before. As we were talking about at the top of the program, you know, Jakobsen was saying that this is, it's only bike racing, let's keep it in context. But uh, within the context of bike racing, this win was, was a big deal for Patrick Lefever's squad. Yeah. What does this mean for for the rest of the season? Is is Quick Step no longer the dominant team? Like what's what does the power balance look like for the for the classics
1: I between think, teams? I think the in terms of teams that have like multiple options and multiple opportunities to win, the gap has been closed to Quick Step. I don't think they're as far above everybody else as they have been in previous years however i don't think the on loop that uh well, trying to think try to maybe uh make a nice phrase but it's a very <laughs> the disaster that's the word i'm going to use <laughs> that it was um yeah i was i was i i had i had a phrase in mind but it's not really broadcastable um <laughs> the second word is show um yeah the the slight disaster that they had on saturday i don't think that's going to be you know the the story to come from quick step over these classics we've seen them in the past you know because they have this kind of as they called it multiple cooks sort of approach to to racing you know they have many riders that can win sometimes they sort of just get in the way of each other um, and Many I,
0: cooks in the wolf pack kitchen.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've got a lot of alpha wolves, sometimes things <laughs> don't quite work out. And I think sort of having Fabio Jakobsen to rally around on the Sunday sort of helped focus the team again and get them towards that win. And obviously if you've got Fabio Jakobsen in your team, you know, you've got a very strong chance if you can just get him anywhere near the finish line that he's going to take the win. So yeah, I think it's going. It'll be a wake up call, and I think they'll be happy that it happened this early in the classics, and it didn't happen later down the line at like E3 or something like that. Um, you know, at a at a far bigger race. Um, but yeah, I think it'll prove to be a wake up call. I think they're still probably the strongest overall team in terms of the classics, but that gap's definitely much smaller now to some of the other squads.
0: Yeah, again, what's what's good for Quickstep is not always what's best for for racing and what's best for fans. And as impressive as you know, like years of dominance have been, I for one, I'm happy to see uh, other teams and other riders giving them a run for the money. I'm also glad to see so many that you know our races are, are not just back on the schedule, but uh, you know back with fans and the, the calendar is packed going forward. It's just looking at your your travel calendar and. And others, this uh going to be a lot more great racing to come. So, thanks for sharing the intel from Ghent. Sive, get some rest, and uh, we will check in with you soon.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And, listeners, thanks again for joining us on the Vela News podcast. Have a great week, and we will be back with you next Wednesday.